0: Hello! Welcome to Chatty AF, the Anime Feminist Podcast. My name is Tony, I'm a contributing editor here at NFM, and with me are Peter and Caitlin.
1: Hello! I'm Peter-phobia, and I speak in a gravelly voice. No, I'm Caitlin, one of the community manager and an editor at Anime Feminist, um, as well as the uh, community manager of the Discord. The
2: that was good. You, you no uh, social links or anything. You're good. Okay.
0: Oh, That's I cool. thought you were gonna introduce yourself, Peter.
2: I could. I was just. Uh, I didn't. I would, somebody took like a body shot at me right at the beginning, so I'm a little thrown off. Okay. So yeah, I'm Peter Fovian. I'm a YouTube strategy and content at Crunchyroll. I'm an editor at Anime Feminist. I'm on Blue Sky now. It's just my name.
0: All right, and I'm Tony. I'm a, as I said, I'm a contributing editor. My Twitter handle is. At PoetBagog, Um, though I'm going to very soon not use it at all, but you can also find me on Blue Sky and Instagram at that handle. Um, all right, so we are here um, to talk about the season that is fall 2022. So this is the mid season podcast. It was recorded on November 18th. It's probably a week. From now that you're hearing this, so just so you know, um, things might be uh, about a week out of date, but these are our thoughts based upon what we've seen so far as of November 18th. Um, so, with that in mind, with no further ado, we're going to go ahead and get started with our Pit of Shame shows. All right, so Caitlin, it looks like you have continued to watch A Girl and Her Guard Dog despite all of your best intentions.
1: Yes, I sure have. I'm going to be quick because we have there's so many shows that we're watching. So many. Um, and I don't want to spend a bajillion years on the bad ones and not get to the good ones. A girl and her guard dog in my premiere guide said, oh, well, he doesn't seem like he's grooming her. It just seems like she has a crush on him. And I know eventually they're going to start dating. Uh, well, there was a line in a recent episode where he says to her, oh, it looks like you're growing up growing up into the body type I like, I mean. Mm -hmm. And ew! Ew! I literally yelled at my TV. Um, But yeah, no, it's bad. Also, the production is completely coming apart. There are the scenes where characters speak and their mouths don't move or their mouths do move and no sound comes out and their faces are off model all the time so yeah it's a really bad show but it is at times funny bad um even if you're into into age gap romances which I've said before whatever you know you like what you like is not a it's just not a good show it's just not a good show
0: all right, so that was a girl and her guard dog. Wait a second, Peter. Yeah. No, you're not. It looks like you're watching The Kingdoms of Ruin. I am, yeah. What is that? I don't even know what that is. <laughs>
1: the regret in your oh, voice. Oh, that's
2: the. I I'm not sure if it's based on a manhwa. Um, it's like a fantasy title. Um, yeah, it was pretty far down there because it. Uh, I can't. I didn't read the premiere review, but I assume it was because there was just. I don't know so many red flags, but, uh, it's, it gets worse, I guess. Uh, the main character wants to kill all humans because they killed his, uh, um, mother figure who taught him magic. Um, who was a witch. All humans want to kill witches because they got technology and they didn't need the witches anymore. Uh, the witches said they'd resurrect her for him. And I'm not quite sure why he didn't go for that, but instead he resurrected this other unrelated girl to trick them, and then uh, let them all be killed. Uh, So he yeah, wiped out the entire population that his uh, beloved teacher came from. And now it's becoming one of those shows where he's bent on revenge and there's the one girl who loves and forgives everybody at all times and she's slowly going to soften him by the end of it probably. But he's already effectively committed genocide. So I I feel like it's sort of too late for any sort of, you know, moral recovery on his part. Uh, so, and he's definitely going to kill a lot more people. So, uh, it all just sort of seems pointless.
0: A genocide, we love a genocider redemption arc. Okay. Red flags. It looks like none of us are watching any of the red flags show. So, that includes family circumstances of the irregular witch, Undead Unlock, and the vexations of a shut-in vampire princess, so the next one on our list is Protocol Rain. I don't even know what that one is. Yeah,
1: <laughs> there's too so, many anime. Protocol Rain. It's <laughs> too many. Yeah,
2: this is a huge season. It's
1: it's a an esports anime.
2: Oh what? Why am I not watching the esports anime?
1: <laughs> well, because it's not very good, Peter. Oh no, it's not very good. What, what <laughs> <are> <laughs> it,
2: Moba FPS? were they playing?
1: It's a F. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh-huh. It's an FPS. It's, All right.
1: Actually, they actually did, like, make some kind of thing in a game engine. It's ugly. Like, it's, like...
2: Oh, I see N64 it, N64-level yes. <laughs> graphics, so, like, I don't... I see it. i at
1: it. Um, I know nothing about esports. I cannot comment on how accurate it is or is not to the field. Uh, it seems like a lot of the people in it are real assholes, and that seems accurate, from what I know. I give it credit because... Two of, the, two of the players are girls, and that's rare in esports. Esports are very, very unfriendly to female players. That is true. And when we see uh, the players playing alone or in front of their computers, they're usually either uh, butt naked or in their underwear, and that's accurate.
2: That's true.
1: One of the characters is an actress, and it turns out that her public image is very... She has to hide that she plays esports, because it's antithetical to her public image, which is, you know, ditzy and pure, and she's actually super foul-mouthed and a complete slob. It's
2: very Karikano.
1: However, there is an emoto.
2: I'm just looking at the screenshots of this thing. Uh, I'm blown away. I need to check this out.
1: (laughs) It's not actually a good series, but it's not bad enough for me to tell you not to watch it, at least not at this point.
2: Well, you've successfully convinced me to pick up this anime that's in our yellow flags.
1: I'm watching it because it is a, an opportunity to earn money for me.
0: Oh, okay. You do, but
2: you do your own thing, Peter. <laughs> yeah, I do that shit for free, yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Um, so we don't have any notes on MF Ghost. We don't have anything to add about Kame Rabi. um, We don't have anything on Demon Sword Master of Excalibur Academy, God, what a mouthful of a title for s- that really just a so boilerplate. Um, but Peter and me are both watching The 100 Girlfriends, who really, <laughs> really, 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 really love you. God, I had to make sure I said the nope. right number of release for that. So, uh, Peter, um, tell us a little bit about how that's going for you, and then I'll give you some of my thoughts.
2: Yeah, it's uh, I like it a lot. I think it's really goofy. Uh, it's definitely uh, I like to kind of watch it. And you know, Girlfriend, Girlfriend season two's out, and I I thought Girlfriend, Girlfriend was really out there. And uh, watching them next to each other, I'm like, wow, it's not. And in fact, like the only thing they're doing in Girlfriend, Girlfriend right now is kind of like uh, talking, still talking about how the, just having two girlfriends is too much, even though it's obvious he's going to end up with four. I, Hundred girlfriends has already already has four girlfriends. He's already kissed them all. There's been no kissing yet in girlfriend girlfriend. Really, uh, like that's like the first thing they no do. No kissing. Yeah, oh god, it's 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 so obnoxious. They're they're trying to get a kiss in, but everybody's like, uh, I don't know. And yet, pain in the ass. my
0: impression is girlfriend girlfriend yeah. of the two is probably the more gross and horny.
2: Um, a little bit. Also, uh, the blonde girl roofied uh, the dude. twice. <gasps> uh, so. I yeah, I might be falling off that one a little bit. And I feel like they just don't want to commit to the to the poly aspect, I guess. Um whereas, yeah, yeah, in 100 Girlfriends didn't, wasn't it episode 2 where he came up with the solution like both girls wanted her his first kiss, so he just kissed them both at the same time.
0: <laughs> yeah, he did. It was <laughs> it was, it was i i don't know caitlin I, I i i i as somebody who's who's gone to like circuit parties and, and done a fair share of of fun times um c-
1: kissing two people i'm just trying to <laughs> <laughs> he's trying at his the best. same time
0: yeah. caitlin i'm telling you it's a good time okay that's another you know what?
1: i should knock it until i tried it like you I'm don't just, knock until I'm you try it i'm picturing Okay, no, I'm not, to, to be clear, I'm not talking about you as in the act is gross. I'm talking about you because I am picturing it as a spectator.
2: Oh, no, they they even said we must look like we're trying to summon a UFO right now. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, so, so, yeah, I mean, the funny thing is about 100 Girlfriends is that for a show that is just so, that is about a kind of horny and silly concept... It really doesn't, like, it does have some cheesecake and fan service shots, but they never feel like they are, like, gross in the way that often these things are. Like, it's it's only when the characters are themselves feeling kind of horny and, and sexual and, like, are in a sexual mood that it's doing that. And, like...
2: Yeah, it, it gets into the teenager's horny headspace, right? Exactly,
0: exactly. And, I mean, there's moments that are, like, horny, but for comedy. Like, I mean, my favorite joke in the whole series is probably when Hikari is, like, getting tickled. And she says, like, I'm, oh, my gosh, I was so close because I I was so close to ecstasy. And I just, (laughs) I died. I thought it was so funny. Um, I actually think the horny humor in this show this show is one of the very few shows that has horny humor that I think is actually good. Then again, I am a monogatari fan, so maybe I should eat my words. Um, <laughs> I, maybe that's just, just more me than anything else. Yeah,
2: I. You watched. You just started watching that like uh, like was it a month ago? And now that's how you disclaim every single anime opinion <laughs> that you have. I,
0: I clearly have no taste. Um, I okay. So other things though. Um, disability rap. I I'm really surprised at this show because I think that in general it's I get okay, first of all, Shizuka is perfect and I talked a lot about this in the 3 episode review. I think her arc is wonderful. Um, yeah, it's very sweet. I was a bit disappointed with how the big climax of the of the of the swimsuit episode was where the The water park episode was her, like, having to, like, quote-unquote yell, which is really just say anything to try to get, um, Rentaro's attention because he, he couldn't find her. Like, did not love that that was played as this big dramatic moment of her triumphing over her, quote, fear. Because that just makes it an overcoming disability narrative that I find kind of gross, And and in general, that episode, I thought, was one of the weakest of the series. Um, There's issues in that episode with consent around, you know, around clothing. Um, There's issues of, like, gender essentialism um, with who gets to defend who. It was very much giving the Oron High School Host Club beach episode um, in that regard. Okay, but yeah, I think in general, this show is, is, like, overall quite quite good, with some bumps in quality um, as seen in the swimsuit episode. But, I don't know. What do you think, Peter? Uh,
2: yeah, it's kind of like a two steps forward, one step back thing. I I kind of, I'm glad that even I, I kind of thought that I didn't like that her shouting, I thought it, it, it at least kind of made up for it in that she only managed to whisper and it was just because he's such a powerful boyfriend he was able to hear the supersonic or the, the subsonic noise of her yell and come over uh so uh, it was played down or like if it if they played played it straight and had her yell or something i would have been more disappointed but they kind of did some goofiness that padded a little bit but yeah it would have been better she just didn't need to do that so um i guess i just hope they um don't put her in that situation a lot and kind of like respect the character that they created you
0: know. Yeah, and I, I will say that it the the show is also interesting because the other girlfriend that was introduced I forget her name who what's the name of the the girl who's kind of like her I think it's literally like something AI like nano AI <laughs> nano I
2: oh uh a, yeah AI <laughs> AI nano no,
0: yeah so it it, yeah. it I. She, she kind of reads as autistic for, to me, which, on one hand, I don't always love characters who who are, like, autistic-coded and also robot-coded, because I think that that can be, like, a dangerous stereotype about autistic people, but also, um, high-key relatable. Um, anyways, I don't want to belabor this show. Uh, it's, it's decent. Um, if you want, like, a, a zany harem comedy that is, like, somewhat horny, but also just silly... It's a good one to watch. Uh, You'll probably know by episode like two or three if you if you like it or not. Um, Moving on, it looks like you are watching the Yuzuki family's four sons, Caitlin. So, did you want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure, it's a really sweet series uh, about just trying growing up without parents in a situation where you are supporting your siblings. Um, Your support system looks different from people you're dealing with grief. Um, But what I wanted to talk about for this podcast in particular is the third brother. um, There's a plot line where his best friend, Uta, who is a girl, gets asked out and he's freaking out because it's like, I'm going to lose her. We're not going to be as close anymore. Like she's going to be spending all this time with her boyfriend and he's, he's jealous. And they, you know, their other friend starts being like, well, you could date her and he thinks about it. And eventually he's like, no, I really want to just stay friends. Meaning, meanwhile, the guy that like that Uta went out with is like, why do you talk like a boy all the time? You know, you're, you're such a pretty girl. Shouldn't you act more feminine? And she's like, What? But she doesn't just reject it. Because that would. That's not really how people. Respond to these things. How young girls respond to these things. Right? She has a few days of. Like being kind of really hurt. And sad. And like. Do I need to be more feminine? So it's got. Some fairly nuanced. Like character work. And storytelling. Um, It. Avoid actively avoided falling into these very expected tropes, that in a way that I that I appreciated, and yeah, it's a nice show. I recommend it. The subtitles have been fixed.
0: I remember that being the main subject of the ANN preview guide reviews. It's just like, well, I would like to review the show, but subtitles.
2: It was like that CG bear in Golden Kamuy. Eh? I feel like that's all anybody was able to talk about, and it's like, okay, is the show good?
1: I keep. I am going to keep using what you are doing here is a carcinogen. Because that's a funny line in its own right. Oh,
0: yeah. You gotta keep that. All right. Um, Moving up the list. Tier Moon Empire.
1: I mean, it's it's a fun show. It's kind of like a spiritual successor to My Next Life as a Villainess. I personally I think I like this one more. People fucking love My Next Life as a Villainess and I enjoyed it. But it's not a show that has really occupied my brain space ever since it ended. You know, it's not like a big revolutionary like Mia has to learn how to be a good ruler and a just ruler. Mia has to be a less shitty person because she doesn't want to get guillotined. And being a less shitty person is leading to people liking her more to her being able to form like better alliances uh not making enemies of every single other person in power so it's not like revolutionary in its politics or anything but it's fun and it does say that uh sometimes rich people deserve to get guillotined <laughs> so you know it's got that I like it.
2: Definitely a more attractive central premise. Uh, the, the, the visuals I keep seeing of her fleeing from a guillotine on a horse and stuff really make me want to pick it up.
1: It's fun. It, yeah. It's a fun show. Not blowing my mind or anything, mm-hmm. um, but I'm enjoying it.
0: Banger opening, too. So if you want something that's a little bit more goofy, but where you get a little bit of that villainous isekai itch scratched your moon empire could be for you uh you are watching Shangri-La Frontier Peter sounds like
2: uh yeah I don't really think there's anything worth discussing on the show it looks really great uh it kind of dragged in the beginning because it got really bogged down in game stuff and now it's starting to introduce those two girls that uh were in all the promotional material kind of interested in getting into them but like right now it's just like video game stuff so
0: gotcha so we will move on then Nobody's watching a returner's magic should be special, nor Ragnar Crimson, nor a play. I guess of we
1: didn't find it special. Uh-huh,
0: <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh nobody's watching Ragnar Crimson. Nobody's watching a playthrough of a certain dude's VRMMO of life. You are watching Paradox Live the animation. Um, so, uh, thoughts,
1: Caitlin? So this season, there are two shows about illusory rap battles. I very much prefer Hypnosis
2: yeah, Mike. Yeah, it uh, the tragedy of this show was it was it the same season of Hypnosis Mike.
1: Nobody is watching this show. Nobody is. I am the only person watching this show. Even Jared, who was so excited to watch this show, is not watching this show with me. Nobody in the world. Well, nobody in the english-speaking sphere is watching this show except for me we
0: have one person in the anime Um, feminist patreon who asked us to talk about it one singular person
1: oh well this is for you (laughs) okay this is for you i hope you enjoy it Uh, the thing is when this show loosens up and decides to have fun it it can be fun The last episode I watched was kind of a silly filler episode where a bunch of characters were trying to get some money to buy a really expensive album. And there was a moment where one of them was eating really spicy curry for reasons and the other ones just started having a little impromptu rap session about spicy curry and it was really cute and fun and it made me smile. And honestly, that was the first first maybe second time i like have actively smiled watching that show
0: That's It's just damning.
1: it's 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 so dour at times they all have trauma and use and using the phantom metal which gives them the ability to create illusions while they rap which they only do on stage and they don't have them integrated into the episode. Out of all of the episodes so far, except for maybe like the newest one, which I haven't watched yet, there there have been four, four rap sequences at the end of the episode, completely CG. A lot of the illusions you could just do with modern technology, to be honest, like with like light shows and stuff, but it makes it, they, after they... Create these illusions. They have a trap reaction where they relive their worst trauma. (laughs) And then over time, like they start getting like worse and worse reactions. And I'm just like, why are you doing this, bro? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Like there's this whole Monologue about how, like, overall, everything that's important to them is taken from them. Like, they lose their memories. Like, why? 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 Just just do the show without the illusions.
2: Wait, didn't Vivinos didn't do, like, a music video about this on YouTube? And it was, like, a horror series? <laughs> I think it was the same concept.
1: The thing is, though. Boy hot.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. Unfortunately. Uh, uh- I saw the PV, all the characters were very well designed.
1: There are, yeah. the character design is excellent. And there are a few, um, I don't like the wrapping in it. Um, somewhat, so Ann recently did a uh, This Week in Anime column about it. And someone, one I think it was Nick was talking about like, it's kind of weird that these shows are about hip hop, which is a very distinctly like, black originated form of music still very dominated by by like african-american culture and there are no dark-skinned people in sight and paradox live even and and they're you know appropriating a lot of the the aesthetics of it um i think paradox live does it a bit more because hypnosis mike is a little bit more goofy but, you know, I wanted to mention that. And there was someone in the replies to that article saying, like, yes, I am black. I, I am in a lot of ways in the target audience for this because, like, I love Jose Muke, uh, mobile games and, and mixed media projects and idle stuff. And I absolutely do feel weird about the appropriation of, of black culture. So I did want to bring that up. Um <sighs> But yeah, no. And and the lyrics are bad. The lyrics are really bad in Paradox Live. Like, I can't really speak towards the skill of the rappers, but the, the, the lyrics, I just, Hypnosis Mike wins in every way. Hypnosis Mike is so silly and fun and goofy, and it bears absolutely no resemblance to any reality or humanity in a way that just makes it really enjoyable. So, yeah.
0: All right. Are we ready to move on?
1: Oh good, I get to monologue again. Yep,
0: overtake. It's your it's your turn. Overtake I'm t-
1: not going to talk about very much. Okay. There's not a whole lot to say about it. Um it does not keep going about on like it doesn't touch for very long about the economic realities of formula racing, which is fine. Um because we don't need two series about the economic rela- <laughs> the uh people trying to stay afloat amidst a uh, very expensive uh thing. I don't know. it's, it's I'll talk about Bullbuster in a minute. There's not really um a lot of female characters. There's just uh the main character's ex-wife and then there's a race girl who's friends with a couple of the ra- of racers. She's in high school, so it's a little weird that she's, you know, doing the race girl thing when she's still like 17. And but she, she's cute she's cute um she's her main character is that she's childhood friends with one of the people on one team and but also has a crush on this like huge flirt who's a popular racer and for a much a team that has a lot more means um i feel like because of the animation and the character design, she feels like she has more personality. like I find her a lot more likable than that type of character. Uh, I typically do no she's she's really cute like but there's not a whole lot there to talk about um in the particular purview of this podcast discussion.
0: All right, so that was overtake um so now we go on to My New boss's Goofy, which I guess I'm the only one here who's watching that. Um, first of all, I would like to direct our readers to Alex's amazing and very thoughtful article about it um, on our site, which goes into its <clears throat> depictions of recovering from workplace abuse and... Um, how it can be important to have just very sweet and fluffy representation of like PTSD and recovering from it in addition to the more heavy and um dour representations of it um which you know I I agree with I think it's really important to, to, that we are able to de- I think it helps to destigmatize PTSD that we have shows like My New Boss is Goofy um, it, it helps to make it something that can coexist with just your everyday life, you know, having having PTSD. A lot of us have PTSD, and we have to go through our lives and find ways to exist, even in new environments. And, you know, having representations of what that can be like, well, in, in a situation that is ideal, and it's nice. Um, I will also say... Um, like, I know in my premiere review, I had talked about it as being fujoshi Bay or Fudanshi Bay, Um, and to an extent, it's continued along that trajectory in terms of, like, continuing to really tease the idea that mm, maybe these two will get together. Ooh, look, they're holding hands. Ooh. Um, oh my gosh, they've moved in together? What? Um, spoiler alert, I guess. Um, but... I will also say it's becoming more and more clear that this sh- that doesn't necessarily mean that the show is not going to follow through on, like, queer representation. Because, first of all, Kinjo, um, there's a confirmed bisexual character named Kinjo, and it seems like there might be something going on where the protagonist is starting to, you know, just try to understand what it's like to be in community with queer people, right? And then, like maybe, might be having his own little crisis of identity, but it's like very much understated and like very like beneath the surface of all of his interactions with his boss, where he, because like pretty much all the time he's around his boss, he's he's like blushing and like, um, just, and much of their interactions, some of their interactions are very almost romantically coded. Like in their most recent episode, there's a moment where. Where uh, Momose's abusive former boss calls him, and then the and then his new boss Shirosaki, you know, kind of steps in and defends him a bit, but in a way that empowers him to be able to speak a little bit for himself, um, rather than requiring Shirosaki to speak for him, and it felt very coded. Similarly to you know when you see moments in shows where you know a person with the help of their new boyfriend or whatever confronts their abuser, former abuser. Um, and so... I, but all, it almost feels, like, ir- irrelevant to me whether or not they end up getting together. The show still feels queer, and it it's feeling more queer, like, as it goes on. And Kinjo is feeling more and more like a not a character who's just bisexual like to check a box but they feel like somebody I would know and I I'm enjoying the show more and more um as time goes on so I I would recommend my new boss is goofy it's it's a very lovely time it's a very nice show to come home to and relax watching um and very sweet so and you know it's becoming more and more queer so those are my thoughts on my new boss is goofy um Hopefully it'll encourage some of y'all to check it out. Uh, so in the following sequence, where we talk about Miggy and Dolly, we're gonna talk about uh, child abuse, um, troubled teen programs, uh, applied behavior analysis, ableism, violence against children, especially children in the foster care system and disabled children. So if and queer children. So if that um, is not something you wanna hear about, just skip to where we to where we talk about Frerin. All right now to a show that has the complete opposite vibe in every single way possible, <laughs> uh, Mickey and Dolly. Um, so, Peter, it looks like you're watching this. Um, so, Oh, hell yeah. What did you think of Mickey and Dolly so far?
2: Uh, it is very different from what I expected. I, I knew I was all in, because I knew it was by the creator of having You Heard I'm Sakamoto. Uh, and from the, like, the... Uh, like promotional material stuff. I expected it to kind of be uh, just two twins being very eerie uh, doing stuff to f- the fool people into thinking that they were one kid while living in an adoptive home or something. But I didn't know there was this murder mystery that they were solving around their mom. Uh, and also it's just like gone off the deep end with strangeness. It's very weird. It's like uh, it's almost got like the, the way it, it's kind of staged and, it almost feels like a horror manga, like something Shuji Ito would have made, um, with just the like the bizarreness of these kids and the the setting around them. Um, but like, I don't even know how to dissect what's going on right now. Uh, they it's been doing some stuff recently. Like, I, I still don't know how I feel about the weird mom who forced one of them to like dress in a diaper and be a baby for a while i don't know if that was supposed to turn him into a good child by just doing his childhood over again or something uh that was a a weird segment um
0: oh i have things to say uh, about that i have a lot of things to say about that segment
2: thank god yeah i uh i i I probably just want to leave it over to you then because i'm I'm sure you'll have a lot of opinions on that and dolly's new strategy of solving all all this problems by cross-dressing, right? But, uh... Oh, God. I God! It is, it is a very crazy show. Uh, I am enjoying it a lot, even though, uh, like, it sometimes it's so weird. I am just like, uh, what is this even... What, what is the show trying to do? What is it about anymore? And then it somehow comes back to, like, oh, we gotta figure out who killed our mom. And I'm like, oh, yes, that's what the show's about, <laughs> even though the, he's dressed as a baby right now.
0: Um...
2: <laughs> Yeah, I, I it's fun. It's weird as hell, but it's super fun.
0: It reminds me of, uh, I've definitely heard some comparisons to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, which I would definitely agree with. Um,
2: yeah, yeah, I, I wasn't going to say it, but it feels like the town is like the Morio from Diamond is Unbreakable, the way the people act and stuff.
0: Yeah, or, or the prison from Stone Ocean, you know, very similar mm-hmm. vibe. Yeah. Okay, so a few things. Yeah, absolutely. You think going in that it's going to be like a series of sketches about how the twins, you know, use their dual identity to fuck with people. And sometimes it's that. But much more often it's these much more complex arcs of characters. And we're starting to see these twi- our twins differentiate from each other, right? Like, Dolly is becoming very clearly the kind of brains of the operation, whereas Miggy is becoming kind of the person who's doing all the acting and kind of being, putting it all into action through his performances, right? Yeah. A few things. Okay, so the baby sequence. The baby sequence. Ooh. I have to be honest. If there's anything that reminded me of, I, it really reminded me of what I had heard from friends who had been to troubled teen programs. Um, What? Hmm? Not really? Yeah. Okay. So let me okay. explain. I'm not it's not so much the baby stuff, but just gen, the general okay. atmosphere of paranoia and like child abuse and torture. Um, you can look up those programs, but I I know multiple people, like so 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 for the. Those of y'all who don't know, I'm autistic, right? And I went through applied behavior analysis as a, as a young adult, um, which is like one step removed from a troubled teen program, essentially, right? And so, like, I remember when I was in applied behavior analysis, they would make us play with blocks, like, okay, y'all, build a block tower, goo goo gaga, right? And we were, of course, teenagers, right, being asked to build a block tower. And then afterwards, you know, after we'd built this block tower, they would, like, pick apart all the different social interactions that happened while we were building the block tower and argue about how... and make statements in front of everybody about how we fucked up this social interaction or fucked up that one and how we need to improve our social skills, right? Um, and this is very vulnerable for me to mention, but... And to me... The words that they were using, they described it as con- like the words that they used in Mickey and Dolly. They described it as conditioning, right? So, applied behavior analysis, what I went through, is based upon the principles of operant conditioning. And I think this show has a sophisticated understanding of that kind of, and and so often, children who have experienced the kind of traumas that Mickey and Dolly have gone through, right? are then put through these kinds of programs, right, of applied behavior analysis or, you know, in in spaces like group homes and stuff like that, right? So even as uncomfortable as those sequences are, to me they're uncomfortable because they're getting at something fundamental about the way that teenagers who have experienced this kind of organized abandonment are treated. Um, mm. I know that's a very heavy thing to say <laughs> and but the thing yeah. is that this is like what I experienced is actually a lot less bad than my friends who went through troubled teen programs and keep in mind right like when you go through a troubled teen program because you've misbehaved in somewhat of the same ways that Miggy and Dolly maybe have right you literally get kidnapped from your family in the middle of the night sent to this boarding school right where you then are forced to like do all sorts of horrible things, and experience all literal physical torture often, and abuse. And then that's supposed to fix you, right? So, again, to me, that, those sequences really just felt heavy in a way I did not expect. And... I felt torn because it was like, oh my gosh, this is reminding me of so many of my experiences of my friends who have been literally physically tortured in these programs. um, Or physically tortured in conversion therapy, right? Um, That happens. (laughs) In the middle of this show that's a horror comedy, and it's like, on one hand, it's like, is it making fun of these experiences in a way that's a bit disrespectful or is it representing them in a way that's funny because it's a little too real, you know Um, and like we have to laugh because otherwise it hurts too much, you know but the thing is I don't think that anybody who's watching this, who's created this have been through troubled teen programs or any of this shit, right, so it's like it's very strange watching it as somebody who has been through something adjacent to it, right, (laughs) and has had several friends go through them
2: I, uh, I don't have any knowledge of, uh, of any of that. So like, I obviously didn't pick up any of that with like the baby scene, but I do see like f- as somebody who d- has not had any of those experiences, I do I did kind of get this feeling like uh, watching the show even though uh, the twins end up in like a seemingly uh, like happy uh, family, uh, you know, the, their adoptive family. Uh, there did seem to be some sort of like underlying like narrative distrust of the foster system uh, yes, and the the parents absolutely. themselves, even though they seem nice. And then, like the way that the Boy Scouts uh, group kind of facilitated the the bullying that uh, mm-hmm. they experienced as as Hitori. That there is kind of like this ambiance of like distrust around the way these two kids are being treated, even though like surface level, it seems like they're part of a nice community. Um, And maybe it's just that one family being weird. So I do. I like that. You saying that does kind of like uh, coalesce uh, some like just sort of a general atmosphere that the series has uh, for me. Um, although I have no idea what it's go- where it could be coming from or where it, it, it the, it's going with it. Yeah,
0: That's the thing. It's kind of wonder-egging right now. You know? It's just like, <laughs> here's this no, mad-heavy thing. <laughs> no. Here's that mad-heavy yeah. thing. Where's it going? Who knows? Um, I also think that, like... Um, Please. And it's, it's really fucked up that his, that his adoptive parents give him up without a fight to this person who's clearly going to torture him.
2: Yeah, that was also weird
0: fucking weird! It I def-
2: definitely has something to do with the f- power that family has in the community. But, uh, yeah, that kind of uh, makes you uh, trust less uh, their aptitude as good parents, right?
0: As for Dolly, like, constantly cross-dressing, like, girl, you're an egg. Smash the egg. Uh, the egg that... The chick yeah. that cannot escape... Um, what's the line from Utena? Uh <laughs> The chick that cannot escape its egg will die without being born. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Mickey and Dolly... A lot, heavy, a lot of stuff going on in that. We will see where it ends up. We will definitely return to that in the um, season wrap-up. All right, Peter. What's going on in Frarin? Uh, I know that our this is the number one most requested thing that we talk about on the Patreon, so we got to talk about it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to say, I was, like, way ahead on the series because I actually picked up the manga um, after we did a manga recommendation podcast where they brought it up. Uh, And to be honest, I got two volumes. I was like, oh, this is pretty good, but I kind of dropped it. Uh, The anime, I think, really does a lot with the material and has made it super, super great. It's, like, one of the best produced anime this season easily. Um,
0: Oh, yeah. By far. And I definitely...
2: I enjoy it a lot more than the manga. Like, I think I, I like the story now, even though the manga just kind of left me going. Like, okay, oh, is fine. I'm not going to keep going with it. So uh, definitely worth checking out. Uh, it's it's very well produced. Kind of reminds me of the first episode of uh, uh, To Your Eternity, where you're just, like, wowed by the, the orchestra and the the visuals uh, and the, the pacing, just the way they, like, brought everything together. Uh, as far as, like, the show, I, I think it's... Uh, I'm... Uh, maybe this is resolved, but early on, I kind of had this weird feeling that it, it had like this kind of paternalistic vibe around Freiren where it was like her, uh, more, even though she's like a thousand years old and all these people are like, you know, they're going to, they're human age people. I think maybe live a little bit longer or something. So they're like twenties, thirties, um, are kind of like treating her like a child, uh, which I mean, maybe like proportion to age is true. Um, but they're kind of like teaching her how to live life and not even directly like you should do that. They seem to be kind of coordinating behind the scenes to make her experience certain things so that she has a better, you know, like, uh, understanding of mortality and the value of life, even though there's a short or something, It, it just kind of feels like they all decided together that she needed to, uh, get some valuable lessons. So they kind of, uh, put all these like like landmarks in her path and kind of i want to say bullied her into it but kind of manipulate her into like taking on an apprentice and sort of stuff and that felt a little strange for me um but i do feel like it's moved away from that a bit now that we've kind of got the central cast together and the story's moving forward and it's gotten more into fraeren's personal story uh the the paternalistic vibes i think do kind of not feel so bad when you do learn a bit more about Freyron's past and uh, find out that her master forced her into like forced isolation for 500 years uh, for reasons that, uh, good reasons uh, that become apparent later on. So she is kind of inexperienced at life in general uh, despite her age, which I think might have been something that they picked up on uh, and and that might've motivated them to kind of like say, hey, like we got to help her out. Um, So that feels a bit better. But uh, besides that, I think it's just kind of like uh, a really well-produced fantasy series where it kind of uh, uh, does a lot of time jumping. uh, And uh, it just plays with time in interesting ways. Um, Obviously, it's got some stuff going on with Freyrin and Himble that it's building up to. I know that the fans are really into... Frerin ex himmel romance which i think is super weird because he's been dead for 28 years at this point in the story yeah, that's a lot. um uh, and she was like i i think she was over a thousand years old when she met him too so that also feels weird uh so that aside um i guess it's good that he's already dead so i don't need to worry too much about a potential romance um but uh yeah it's really cool right now i love her interactions with uh uh fern and i can't remember the dude's name Whatever the boy's name is. He's funny. Dark uh, yeah. the coward, yeah. it has got some, like, l- late Berserk vibes. Maybe my only complaint now is that I feel like a lot of the girls have this kind of monotone thing going on. Um, even, like, the demon girl that they fought in the most recent episode just kind of act exactly the way Fran- uh, Freren and Fern do. And I'm wondering if the writer is maybe a bit too one-note when it comes to female characters. Um, but besides that, yeah, it's great.
1: Yeah,
0: I, I think that Freyrin consistently does not have a lot to chew on in terms of social justice themes. But I will say there's a lot to talk about in terms of the demons. Hmm. Because the demons, to me, remind me of this kind of... They remind me of two things, right? They, they remind me of this idea of philosophical zombies, right? Because they're essentially philosophical zombies, right? Like, they, they look and they act like people people, and they, like, can pretend to be people, they pass the Turing test, I guess, but they, that, you know, if, but they don't actually have human emotions, or, like, can, like, form meaningful connections with each other or other people, right? They just, they just, yeah. They just want evil, chaos, destruction, whatever. Oh Yeah, they're pure evil. So, like, philosophically, that's interesting, right? Because I've always been interested in the idea of the philosophical zombie, I've always found that. But, that's, the, fundamentally i've always also wondered whether the a concept of philosophical zombie was originated to justify colonization and enslavement and stuff like that right because you know like the, the history of western philosophy right and the history of like the, these kinds of like discourses of you know oh, they don't actually have souls, they don't actually have emotions or family structures or anything, they're just savages, right? Like, I mean, that that's literally what was said to justify colonization, right? And, like, what are our heroes doing? They're going in, and they're, like... And, like. And there was one moment that really, really bothered me in, in episode 8, where, like, the demon is remembering his past, and he's like, oh, yeah, I remember, Fran, she was a slayer. And you see, like, all of these bodies of what look like women and children demons just in this pile that, well, not pile, but, like, littered across a, a, a landscape that presumably and killed all of them. But it, it, it was a little bit like, okay, got it, so, like, we're just supposed to be cool with genocide as long as we imagine that our enemies to be philosophical zombies, okay? Got it. Um... So don't love that. I I really don't love that. I've always hated that in fantasy stories. I've always hated, like, the idea of orcs or, you know. And if that's going to be, like, the fundamental, like, conflict of the show is her battling these philosophical zombies, I I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep watching. All right. Mm -hmm. Firefighter Diago, rescuer in orange. Is there anything to say about that? Diago. Diago. Okay, thank you. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Um. (sighs) This, uh, this is also a money-making opportunity for me or else I totally would have dropped it. Uh, so the lone female, it's just, the characters feel so distant. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't feel like I know who they are as humans. The one major female character who really wanted to join the rescue corps And wasn't able to get a position there, even though she passed, even though she went through the training with flying colors. And it's definitely because of institutional sexism. She's still, it's two years later, still not getting to do it. Um, As of the last episode I watched, which I think I'm caught up. She had a meeting with a guy about a different special service because her family was killed in a huge like huge hotel fire 10 years ago and she started getting super mad on the newscast and this guy from the fireman fire department whisked her away but here's the thing so that's the first episode since the very beginning where she gets a major role that episode was so slow and boring and i'm not talking about like just like a mature adult drama I mean literally slow like characters would have a conversation like so what do you think I'll do it don't you dare edit out those pauses mm. because that was an accurate representation of what that show okay. was like
2: <laughs> violating every law of podcasting but I'll do it for you Caitlin
1: um, so yeah it's just there are a lot of much better shows to watch this season. There are better shows that are doing... if you're watching for female characters. there are shows that do better, more interesting things and yeah, it's just it's gotten to be kind of a slog, and I don't think I would be watching it if it weren't like a potential show to review at the end of the at the end of the season.
0: All right, dang shame because I like some me yeah, a hot firefighter um. Ball Buster. Ball Buster. Nope. 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 What happened? Nope. I thought people were like... It's it. Bull... No, it's... Uh, no, it's Bullbuster. Buster. Bull... B- <laughs> <laughs> Did I seriously do that? I feel like I'm revealing so yes. i am revealing so much about my sexual life on this podcast. That was a, first I revealed that classic I
2: classic Freudian slip, yeah. <laughs>
0: first I revealed that I'm a circuit queen. Now I reveal that I that I like uh, that I mm, okay, never mind. Um Okay,
1: yeah. anyway, moving on. <laughs> uh, it's fine. Uh the main Thing in the show is that (laughs) it's it's it is a very critical of capitalism. Oh, they're this yeah. Well, see, they're this very small company. They were a construction company, and now they're trying to um, figure out what's going on on this island where all of the animals are turning into this these giant beasts um, that are very aggressive um, and attack human. So all of the people had to be evacuated. But the thing is, there is no profit in this. It was a small rural island. These people don't have money to pay them to do this. No one's paying them. They have no source of profit. And it is a very expensive operation. So they are constantly struggling with having enough money to fund it. They want to have a lab test You know what they're getting from these giant beasts and the lab is just like oh well you know we're not a company we're we're not a charity like you should be paying us more to do this blah 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 and I saw someone in the comments in crunchyroll being like it seems unrealistic that a lab would refuse to test something that important I'm like no I have friends who work in labs the technicians yes they would want to do that testing they would see the import the guy the guys who make the decisions Oh no! oh that is a very accurate portrayal. He also hit on the female technician who is um helping the helping the protagonists um so you know it's it's a pretty solid show not super not like a super memorable uh there was one one scene that i or there was one thing that I disliked. Which is they got an intern and the intern was like refusing to work after six o'clock. Hell yeah. Because interns are not allowed to do overtime. And that was shown as him being just really like obnoxious. And and the company that he was um, interning at that he was being contracted from uh, didn't want him back. Because he's such a like a such a stickler for sticking to the contract and the rules, and this was shown as problematic behavior. Like the protagonist got really really mad at him, and I'm just sitting here like, no, no, like he is he's right. I mean, sure, in this case, it is uh, a life or death scenario, but a you shouldn't be using interns for that kind of work. And B, that's not how it is in most case in, in most careers. So, yeah, he was absolutely correct. And you should not be treated people who want to. He says it sets a bad precedent for him to do work that is not outlined in his contract. He is correct. He is absolutely fighting against toxic work culture. So, um, And he did end up like pulling through like they got mad at him for like looking at his smartphone while he was on standby and it turned out that he was actually doing like taking the initiative and doing some really helpful work. Um, so he did like turn he, he wasn't just like a villain or a thorn in the company's side. But yeah, it was Um, it's a pretty fun show. Once again, it's a very, very busy season, so I wouldn't say pick it over something that like is sounds more interesting to you that or that is more like has more people recommending it. Just yeah, you know, it it if if it doesn't have a lot of giant robot action if you're looking for that, but it does have a couple of cool ladies. And you know, yeah, it's fun.
0: Alright, so maybe some that could be a fun time for some of us. Alright, moving on up. Oh, you're gonna continue to get to monologue, Caitlin, because now we have our dating story. Because no one watch, watched it okay. watched Berserk of Gluttony, so I've heard this one
1: is a mess. Um honestly, I don't think it's as bad as um some people were saying. If you're listening to this, Alexis, I'm sorry. Well, as far as the story has gotten, the main problem is that the two main characters are terminally boring. They throw in a jealous twin sister for drama. It's very silly. It's very silly. Um, I don't want to (laughs) get into the whole thing. Um, but it's goofy as all hell. But on, on the other hand, it does really well with conversations about consent. Like, really, really well. There is a, a scene a few episodes in where, like, they are ended up having to room together out of hot springs. And and Runa is like, you've been really patient. Like, do you want to just do it? And Ryuto is like, internally, he's like, yes, 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 yes. But then he's like, well, yeah, but do you want to do it? And she's like, I mean, you've been waiting really well. He's like, yeah, but do do you want to do it? And she's like, not yet. I will. I think I will. But not yet. And he's like, okay, then we're, we're not going to. So it is really good about its conversation around consent. There was no point where he's like, oh, I'm going to have to control myself staying in this room with this pretty girl. Oh, what if my boner takes over? Um, He's
2: an affirmative consent king. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: You know. But they're just such... And and he he sticks up for her like for there was a like episodes where there were a bunch of rumors flying around and he was like oh and he hadn't like told everyone that they were dating yet and he was like oh I don't know if I'm going to say something and then he stands by at the end of the episode he's like I know these aren't true because she's my girlfriend. It is not a good thing that she had all of that sex and I wish the show did more to examine on her actual relationship with with sex and her body and enjoying things with her body. Because it seems like she never had like she never enjoyed sex. Like that's how it comes across. But also like it's very clear like you shouldn't shame people for for having sex. Like it's bullshit to villainize people and treat them like sluts because they have had sex. So, you know, it's still it's still complicated, but I wouldn't recommend the show just because the characters are super boring people.
0: Alright, well the you heard it here first, folks. Or some maybe <laughs> that they are so boring. Um, Alright, so nobody here is watching My Daughter Left the Nest and Returned to Next Rank Adventure. Uh, I'm in love with the villainess. None of us are watching. I'll be honest, I've read the light novel, and I just... All of the info dumps about um, magic mechanics just bored me to tears, and I had to stop. And it was just feeling very, you know, boilerplate. So, um, that was my opinion of the light novel. But, uh, Virai has an update for us on the anime, which I'm going to be reading, and I have not read yet, so I'm going to be very excited to hear what Vrai has to say. So, Vrai says, and this is from them, I really put my mind into meeting this series halfway after bouncing off the manga hard around the episode 2 equivalent because I know people really love it, and I will say, I am finding myself won over to its sincerity. I think Rey probably comes across better in the novel, but I do understand what the author is going for, creating a character who treats herself as a punchline because because media and lived experience have taught her being a lesbian makes her unlovable. That doesn't excuse her being a creep, but it's compelling psychology, and sort of grimly apropos since Vexations of a shut Vampire Princess is basically over there playing the boundary-pushing lesbian who never expects to be requited trope completely straight. And Ray's boundary violation is pretty much contained to those first three episodes, after which it settles out to a standard level of tsundere business. Capital T, capital B. It's also worth noting that there's some yikesy racism in the most recent episode where the rude upstart foreigners from the, quote, new money, unquote, country have very Arabic-coded designs. Bry continues. Mm. I do appreciate that Claire's classism is being set up as a real character flaw from the series that the series seems intent on digging into, which a lot of villainous stories kind of gloss over. Pretty sure there's a commoner uprising brewing in the background. This was a narrow novel, so those early bits feel very right as you go, but the anime's finally gotten firmly to where you can sense Inori formulating what she wants to say with her story. Its best moments are messy, not unlike Yu Watase is messy, and I respect that. I do think Villainous suffers for being adapted after Magi Revo. Villainous came first and was a trailblazer, and I think it's a more ambitious work. But Magi Revo has an adaptation team that was willing to be merciless about cutting out the light novel bullshit like world building info dumping, so it felt more immediately gripping. I'm told Villainous has an issue where its second novel is both the longest and really dense plot-wise, so it seems like the adaptation seems like it's just unhurriedly adapting the first book, warts and all, rather than streamlining the early bumps, cutting the first book down into maybe half the season and risking having to stop partway through an ambitious plot. I kind of think adapting it that way does show a disservice, though. This is a pretty budget-friendly adaptation, and I haven't got a lot of confidence that it'll get a second season, so every week I have an enjoyable time, but I find myself itching for it to get to the really good stuff that I can tell is building up to, but the anime probably isn't going to get to. I'm invested enough now that I'll probably circle back and try reading the novel in the future." Alright, so that was Vry on I'm in Love with the Villainess. Moving on up, we have Shy. Um, which Peter and I are watching. Um, I almost feel like with Shy, it's hard to know exactly what to talk about because yeah, it's just nice. It's like, it's like gently disability affirming, you know, with the character who's, uh, quad- is it quadriplegic? Is that the term for it? Um, uh,
2: the, the nurse one? Yes. She's a double amputee. Yeah, she's right?
0: double amputee, mm-hmm. that, that would be the proper term, probably. And mm-hmm. um just very and it's not like she magically cured herself of that, you know, although her prosthetics are very, very um, effective for her. Um and I I think that the the, the main thing I think found have found most thematically evocative is the relationship between the two characters uh, the two main characters um, who um, shy herself and then I almost said her girlfriend but that seems to be where it might be going eventually. Um, I found that episode 2 really touched me. Um, I was really just I think that it really made a thesis statement about kind of heroism and what it means to be a hero and what it, the psychology of what it can feel like to be saved and how psychologically like painful it can be to be in the vulnerable position of being saved and also feeling disempowered from that and questioning like what does that power dynamic mean and how do we disrupt that power dynamic i found really compelling and i i do wonder if the show is going to continue with investigating that and kind of digging into that because episode two still remains by far my favorite episode of the show so far Mm -hmm. um but in general shy is really good and i'm i'm really enjoying it um yeah, Peter, what are your thoughts?
2: Um, I definitely, yeah, I, I like on all the kind of ideas it's touching on. I agree with you. I thought two was uh, pretty interesting. Uh, in addition to what you said, I also think it kind of like got into uh, survivor's guilt. Yes. Uh, b- both for the the other people who would potentially be endangered and even for the people who might be trying to help you because they're putting their own lives at risk. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was that was kind of a pretty, like, new idea. I hadn't seen uh, many series of this type really engage in
0: Absolutely. so
2: uh, that was cool definitely liked the the nurse character I know the most recent episode kind of got into the the concept of uh, like boys uh, being accepted into the magical girl fandom uh, space and being able to idolize and aspire to be like magical girls character rather than you know being rejected for you know being weird or anything like that and so I, I think yeah. that's all good. Um, I, I do worry sometimes that it kind of it is going to treat the whole thing about shy is she's shy, right? Um, and I feel like this series might be treating her a bit differently than it's been very accepting of other characters, and that I I'm worried that it's leaning toward her needing to get over this, mm. uh, at least, uh, you know, if she's on the job or something like that, uh, to uh, rather than trying to like lean in with the same sort of acceptance it has for other characters. Um, I also think the villains are pretty interesting since it seems to be a bunch of kids who are distrustful of adults as sort of a surrogate for uh, authority with the implication that they have been betrayed by adults or have been uh, failed by them in some way. I- I'm sure we're going to get more on a lot of, on that later, but I think that's pretty cool. Um, and hopefully, it kind of reminds me of early My Hero Academia with Shigaraki and his gang before... They just absolutely failed to deliver on that, uh, so I'm, I'm hoping it gets into some more interesting concept, especially because it's portrayed the heroes as so, or at least most of them, as so benevolent. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a lot to chew on. Uh, I I'm I find it interesting, although I don't know if I'm really enjoying it. Uh, past some high moments, like I did like episode two, I think there's like a lot of explaining, um, and I wish it would like show a little bit more than tell, um, but. Uh, that I think that's just personal taste since uh, I've, I've seen plenty of people enjoy it. And the production's good as well. So, um, yeah. It's so uh,
0: enjoyable to yeah. watch Masao Ando get to go ham on a production with a high budget. Because, like, so often he's yeah. working with these shoestring budgets at Studio Lerche. Um, mm. And getting to see him, like, really... Like, there's some sequences in Episode 2 that had some of the most interesting animation I think I've ever seen in an anime.
2: Oh, yeah. Every time Stigma shows up, the, it's just, like, it, some crazy visuals.
0: Absolutely. And, and you know, and, mm. and, and Ando has always been good with horror. Like, um... Toilet Bound Hanako-kun, the Mitsuba episode, is legitimately terrifying. Like... Mm. Like, legitimately one of the most horrifying episodes of anime. And... Um, which is funny because I don't normally associate toilet Man or kun with horror, but yeah. Um, so I think, and I mean, he of course is also the school live director, so or school live. I don't know how I pronounce it, but yeah. And so so it's it's a good it's a good looking show. It's I I'm really enjoying it. Um, it sounds like we're both having a decent time, um, and it sounds Peter though like you more respect it maybe than you're like really loving loving it um uh yeah
2: i i, I want to see a bit more uh for sure uh right now i'm i guess i'm wondering whether it's even going to get it done in 12 episodes but who knows it could be two core they just haven't announced it yet or or what
0: i really hope it, it remains gets to be stuff. seen i hope it gets that yeah, i'm gonna keep watching it all mm-hmm. right apothecary diaries both of you are watching apothecary diaries so yes yeah um I know that it is definitely an NFM favorite from everything I've heard, so I uh, want to know why. Tell me why I should watch this show, because I have not started it.
1: Uh, Awa Yuki playing the protagonist, who is a complete and total gremlin.
0: Okay, I'm already... She's very good at that, so... That's a good reason.
1: Uh... Your turn, Peter. Give give a reason.
2: Um, highlight, edge. Uh. That's tough. Uh, I think it is. There's been a, like a, a quite a bit of, or I don't want to say that, several, n- numerous uh, kind of a series lately that have that take place in like this uh, sort of uh, fantastical China version of the you know inner palaces, or and usually there's some sort of murder mystery type series, kind of like Raven of the Inner Palace going on. I definitely think this is the greatest of all of them. Uh, The production is actually pretty out of this world. I think it was episode four where there was some scenes where it's just like somebody eating and the animation was like pretty out of this world. Um, So everyone, it like really, the the production can really wow you depending upon the episode, what they're trying to do. Um, uh, But that's just kind of visual. So that's a little shallow. I I don't know. I don't know if I have a whole lot to say like analytically. I am just really enjoying the show. I like the characters a lot. I think it's got a really good sense of humor and cool intrigue, and it's always kind of talking about poisons and stuff. Uh, so uh, the, she's kind of got her own, like, little area of knowledge that keeps uh, becoming relevant in this <laughs> this environment where everybody is trying to kill each other all the time. Uh, I, I don't know. It's fun. It's a good vibe.
1: Um, I had a conversation with someone who was on the spectrum who was saying that, like, mao mao really felt like they were really able to relate to how mao mao kind of sees the world and interacts with the world Mm -hmm. um so there's that uh also her interactions with jinxi who is the male lead are always super duper fun he is so used to every woman finding him sexy and she is just not into it and he is, loves that she's not into it
2: I yeah. want a super cut of her th- almost throwing up every time he tries to hit on her oh.
1: <laughs> she makes such good faces yeah really good faces I've heard yeah. that it's engaging I
0: like- with ideas about um, patriarchy and navigating patriarchy within um, like these systems of domination is that is that a thing that's going on
1: So Mao Mao, the the main character, grew up in the red light district, and she's then she's kidnapped and forced to come to the um the inner court where it's all women, and she tries to hide, for example, that she's literate because she doesn't want the bonus she would get to the people who kidnapped her and sent her here. Um. The women are, they are living in, in a largely women-only space, but they are still very subject to the whims of men, the men who control them. Uh, One of them, there's a episode plot where one of them is being given away to a soldier. Um, You know, they are all, they are... Here, theoretically, to serve the king. Um, so yeah, it it does engage in with these things, kind of within the structure of the medical mystery show.
2: Yeah, I mean, it does touch on. Uh, like, I guess it's just kind of part and parcel of the kind of the genre of uh, like the Chinese inner palace type things, where uh, basically, ostensibly, I think everybody there is sort of uh, slaves, servants, or uh, kind of kept in there through in one capacity or another. I, I do remember in this, uh, there, there's like a moment where Jinshi kind of brings up the reason uh, that Mau Mau's there. And she's like, oh, yeah, I was sold into slavery, dude. <laughs> and uh, they kind of like try to get revenge against the people who had essentially just kidnapped her and sold her to the palace uh, by uh, her breaking a vase. So they were going to charge the people who had sold her to slavery, um, which didn't seem, I guess that's nice, but also... Uh, I, I don't think Mao Mao really felt like she was in a position to, like, say, like, well, you know, if you really felt bad about it, you'd stop buying slaves and creating the market for people like me to get kidnapped. Um, she is very kind of, uh, I don't want to say resigned to her position, but kind of realistic. Uh, she was trying to keep her head down. So I think that her contract would essentially expi- expire and she'd be let free after a certain time. I know there was some sort of like two year time limit they were talking about earlier, And unfortunately, she was unable to entirely escape notice. So I don't know if that's affected her long-term prospects of freedom since she really wants to go back to her normal life. I feel like the mysteries and politics in the series are kind of taking precedent over uh, the reality that uh, she has been sold into slavery and is just trying to make it through her indentured servitude until she can return to her home her father, who I don't even know if he is aware that she is in the palace right now or thinks she might be dead. Uh, that's just, yeah, it is a uh, something that is touched upon in the plot, but not really the focus of the plot.
1: I'm, I, I read the manga, so I know the answers to all these questions.
2: Oh. All right, is the outlook positive?
1: <laughs> yes.
2: Okay. All right. So maybe uh, maybe uh, there'll be more developments on that front in the seasonal wrap up.
0: Okay, so the last one we have is sixteen bit sensation, another layer, which I believe only you are watching right now, Peter. Um, but mm-hmm. I know our Patreon wanted us to talk about. So, what do you have to say about that?
2: Okay, I'm actually a bit behind on this one, so I I hope my, my mentions are still relevant in regards to this one. I really like the concept. Uh, I, I This, you know, eroge artist who's allowed to go back in time and kind of participate in the creation of the media, which got her into being an artist and a game developer, uh, like this PC-98 era of Akihabara, uh, where she's able to, like, uh, engage in some of these in the development of these games. Um, I, th- I think it's cool having that perspective character be a woman um, and uh, kind of just showing uh, how the sausage was made back then and, like, at touching on her participation in the fandom. There's even a scene where she, like, meets a girl on the street who's too nervous to buy those types of games herself, even though she really wanted to. So she kind of helps her go through the shop and suggests her some games and helps her buy them, and the girl gains more confidence from that. Um... I think all that's great. Um, what I'm worried about, uh, and I'm only on episode four at this time, is that the like the reason she's been sent back is essentially to help the boy uh, who is working at this uh, game development studio she keeps wandering into and doing work for, who, I guess is kind of resentful that games are moving beyond PC 98 into Windows. He's like he's more of a computer nerd than anything else. Uh, so it's kind of like she is helping him kind of accept the transition to this new, um, not medium, but like, uh, like generation of technology, um, and kind of developing his passion for the fandom as well. I, uh, I feel like that would be disappointing, uh, because it's just kind of like, uh, I don't know, she's just sent him back in time so that a, a guy could feel better and keep making video games or something. Uh, I hope that's not the direction it goes. Um, It recently kind of uh, teased that it might be introducing the kind of person that is responsible for her traveling back in time. Um, But at this point, yeah, it's it's just kind of her being super ganky and kind of a a real mess of a character a lot of the time. Um, And it seems like it's pulling a bit away from uh, teaching us more about the development of PC-98 games, which is the central premise. So... It kind of mixed feelings. Uh, The the concept I really liked, I hope it's going to lean back into that and that we're going to get more of why she in particular was sent back and that it doesn't involve this guy's like uh, just being resentful that people aren't going to have to type in DOS anymore (laughs) Uh, as a kind of like main narrative point because that's really fucking boring and I don't want her uh, such a cool character to be sent back just for the sake of one person, not losing their motivation to... Make games, you know what I mean,
0: yeah, that would feel like it's very much kind of deprioritizing her agency or any kind of like meaningful <laughs> just
2: she's like his manic pixie dream girl sent from the future or something
0: exactly, and that that's just boring, yeah. but okay, mm-hmm. so this is a very. Extensive season, but I will say I think it is one of the better seasons we've had in the last few years. I I I'm pretty happy. Oh yeah,
2: agree. Yeah, one of the problems with there being so much anime is also so much of it is so good. Yeah, <laughs> it's really hard to watch all of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely gonna go back and check out Bullbuster, Apothecary Diaries, um, and a few of the other ones um, once the season's over. Hell yeah! Um, all right, so that has been Chat AF, the Anime Feminist Podcast. Uh, if you like what you heard, you can subscribe to um, this podcast. Uh, please rate us. If you really like it, please leave us a rating and review. Um, you can also find us on various platforms at uh, Anime Feminist. Um, we are also on TikTok at NFM site. Um, We now have a Blue Sky. We have a Mastodon. Um, we have an... X slash Twitter account, but we are we're we're using we're trying to pivot away from that more lately. So please try to follow us on other platforms. We have an Instagram, um, and um, we also have a Patreon where you can subscribe and you will get access to our bonus episodes. Um, so you, this month we are having bonus episodes about uh, Baldur's Gate three and about um, our what we're kind of watching lately. Um, so you can hear me gush about how much I love Guitari* some more. Um, I, I, As if you don't get enough of that. Um,
2: You've worked it in, yeah.
0: Also, you'll get access to our Anime Feminist Discord, which is a wonderful place to talk with other justice-minded people about anime and just also just geek out and have a good time. Um, we also have Kofi if you want to make one-time donations. And uh, without further ado,
1: you can roll the music.